Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, folks. Dominic here. Just so you know, there are a couple of audio issues with this episode. The sound quality is not up to my usual standard, and I apologize for that. I have managed to resolve the issue now, and at some point in the future, I will come back and re-record these episodes for quality. But stick with me, and the sound will improve in future episodes. Thank you. 3,300 years ago, a royal sculptor was working on a piece of Egyptian art. Working in limestone, the artist was carving a portrait of the Queen of Egypt, Nefer Neferu Aten Nefertiti. The wife of Akhenaten appeared in many statues and images, and this sculptor was probably replicating an image they had done many times before. The statue head was mostly complete. It had the face of Nefertiti and her tall crown, the flat-topped cap which she traditionally wore. Today, though, the artist was changing it. Taking their chisel, the artisan cut away the top of Nefertiti's crown, carving it along the forehead and brow line. They chiseled down through the stone, towards the ear and sculpting around to the back. Then, they pried the loose stone away, leaving a broken section at the top of the head. Working carefully, the sculptor attached a new piece of stone to the top of the queen. Instead of the flat-topped crown, Nefertiti's statue would now wear a tall, rounded and ridged symbol. This was the Kepresh, the blue crown, traditionally associated with kings, now being worn by Nefertiti. The sculptor, working carefully, attached the new blue crown to the top of Nefertiti's head. It was attached with a peg, and eventually it would be covered with plaster and paint, covering up the gap in the stone. The artist, though, never finished this portrait, and when they abandoned it, the sculpture was left at Amana, awaiting rediscovery. 3,000 years later, the head of Nefertiti, with its blue crown, returned to the light, and is now in a museum in Germany. It is a fascinating portrait, one that captures an unusual moment, that period when Nefertiti transitioned from queen to king. Welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast, episode 136, Nefer Neferu Aten, aka Pharaoh Nefertiti. Today we explore a new and exciting chapter of our story. Akhenaten is dead. Nefertiti rules Egypt. It is a strange phase of Egyptian history, with many surprises and some unanswered questions. In 2021, scholars are developing a solid picture of what might have happened after the death of Akhenaten. Today, we explore that story. 
This episode was sponsored by Jason, who joined the podcast Patreon as a priest-level supporter. Jason, thank you kindly for your generous support. Certainly, the Aten and all the gods will shine upon your household and make your image live forever. To everyone listening, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you enjoy the show. The year was 1346 BCE, give or take. Regnal year one, under the majesty of Anket Keperu Ra, Meri Wa'en Ra, Nefer Neferu Aten, Aket En Hies. In other words, it was regnal year one of Nefer Neferu Aten, formerly known as Nefertiti. The queen of Egypt was now a king. After attending her husband, Akhenaten, for many years, she had become a widow, and Nefertiti was now ruling Egypt as pharaoh. She was the son of Ra, the king of southern and northern Egypt. Nefertiti was in an unusual position. We are now entering a new chapter of our story, and it is a particularly exciting one because it is relatively new. You see, for many years, historians thought that Nefertiti died before the end of Akhenaten's reign. That idea came from a gap in the historical record. For a long time, it seemed that Nefertiti's monuments and art kind of disappeared after year 12. There were only a couple of references to the queen, and nothing that really said what happened. So, with a sudden drop-off in material, historians wondered if she had died or lost favour. Fair enough, you can see why people might conclude that. But over time, that old theory started to give way, and in 2012, new evidence added to our story. An archaeologist working near Amana identified a graffito, a text carved on the wall of a cliff in year 16 of Akhenaten. That graffito named Nefertiti specifically. Overnight, the picture had changed. Historians now had proof that the queen was still alive and still living with Akhenaten, right near the end of his reign. Just like that, the old idea of Nefertiti dying became obsolete, and every book written before 2012 was out of date. We covered that story in episode 131, if you would like more information. To be fair, not all historians thought that Nefertiti had died. Back in the 1960s and 70s, several scholars proposed that Akhenaten's successor was actually a woman, and most likely Nefertiti. But the lack of concrete evidence and various academic debates made it difficult to reach a consensus. Now, that has changed, and historians are generally quite confident that Akhenaten's heir was Nefer Neferu Aten. So the old idea that Nefertiti died or lost favour is gone, consigned to the dustbin of outdated theories. Now we know the queen survived, and what's more, it is extremely likely that she became the next king of Egypt. Today, we can move past the story of Nefertiti 
great king's wife, and tell the tale of Nefer Neferu Atin, king of Egypt. Before we explore the kingship of Nefertiti, we should probably do a quick recap. In the later years of Akhenaten, the king of Egypt had tried on a couple of occasions to appoint a co-regent. This would be a second ruler who could assist Akhenaten and help him to govern the land or to guarantee the succession. The first of Akhenaten's co-regents was a king named Smenkkare, who might have been a brother or cousin of Akhenaten. Smenkkare is a strange figure with many question marks. But long story short, that co-regent appeared for a short time and then probably died. A couple of years after Smenkkare, Akhenaten tried again. This time, he appointed a ruler named Nefer Neferu Aten. Nefer Neferu Aten is almost certainly Nefertiti. There are a couple of scholars who disagree with that, and I'll cover the evidence for this a little bit later. But the most likely scenario is that in his final years, Akhenaten promoted his wife Nefertiti to be a co-regent. Why he would do this is unclear, but the most likely explanation is that the king wanted to guarantee the succession of his household, the stability of his kingdom, and the longevity of his religious reforms. Akhenaten had made many changes to the government and religious institutions of the country. It's quite likely that he chose Nefertiti as a way of guaranteeing that his reforms would last. So the king appointed Nefer Neferu Aten as his co-regent. We have some evidence for this in the artistic record from Amarna. A famous stela carved in stone has an unusual image. It shows two kings seated side by side. One king, the right-hand one, wears the double crown, the red and white crowns of northern and southern Egypt. This is most likely Akhenaten. But just behind Akhenaten, we see a second figure. This one wears the blue crown, the Kepresh. And it is unidentified, but the layout of the cartouches and the body shape of this ruler suggests that it is probably Nefertiti. The second king has an undeniably female physique, even more female than the androgynous Akhenaten. This figure has pronounced breasts, and the layout of the cartouches suggests that it is supposed to be a queen. In the context, it is most likely that this second king, the one attending Akhenaten, is Nefertiti in her new guise as ruler of Egypt. So it's possible that late in his reign, Akhenaten promoted Nefertiti to be a co-king. She was not quite his equal, but she was close. And royal art, or propaganda, communicated the message that now Nefertiti was ruling alongside her husband. Nefertiti's promotion was the final step in a long period of transition where the queen's status increased significantly. Again, I covered all of that material in episode 131 if you want a recap. But long story short, Nefertiti's final years with her husband see her status increase significantly. Eventually, she appears alongside Akhenaten as a second king. 
Once Akhenaten died, it appears that Nefer-Nefru-Aten took over the government of Egypt. This might seem strange in context. After all, Akhenaten had a son, or at least a nephew, the young prince Tutankhaten. Why would Nefertiti take over as king when there was already an heir to the throne? This can be a point of contention for some scholars, and they go back and forth over the idea of Nefertiti ruling by herself or ruling alongside Tutankhaten. I'll cover that in the next episode, but long story short, I think there is a valid argument for Nefertiti ruling independently. At the very least, the idea of her being the king of Egypt or the supreme ruler is entirely possible on the current evidence. I'm going to present Nefertiti as the sole king of Egypt, the individual ruler at the head of the government. Again, I'll explain this in more detail in the next episode, but just bear in mind that my reconstruction differs very slightly from other historians. With that in mind, let's introduce Nefertiti, king of southern and northern Egypt. Around 1346 BCE, after the death of Akhenaten, the king's wife, Nefer-Neferu-Aten, Nefertiti, became the king of Egypt. Her new name was Anket keperu ra or the Manifestations of Ra are Living. She was also called the Beloved, or Meri, of Wa-En-Ra. This is a reference to her late husband, Akhenaten. Finally, she used the name Nefer-Neferu-Aten, or How Beautiful is the Aten. It seems that when she became king, Nefertiti dropped her name, Nefertiti, and identified herself mainly as Nefer-Neferu-Aten. We do not have any monuments or texts that reference Nefertiti, king of Egypt, quote-unquote. Instead, we have this strange figure, Anket Keperura, Nefer Neferu Aten. This has led some scholars to question whether King Nefer Neferu Aten is actually Nefertiti. For some researchers, the new king of Egypt might not be Nefertiti, but rather the princess Merit Aten. Merit Aten, the daughter of Akhenaten and Nefertiti, had become a queen of Egypt earlier when she married Smenkhkare. According to some scholars, Merit Aten might be the person who became King Nefer Neferu Aten. I disagree with this reconstruction for two reasons. First of all, we know that Queen Nefertiti called herself Nefer Neferu Aten during Akhenaten's lifetime. So, King Nefer-Neferu-Aten and Queen Nefer-Neferu-Aten-Nefertiti share part of their name. That makes it more likely that they are the same individual. Merit-Aten never appears with the name Nefer-Neferu-Aten. So the idea of Merit-Aten changing her name to one that her mother had used seems like a little bit of a stretch. Secondly, and much more conclusively, we have an object from the tomb of Tutankhamun. This object is a box, and it bears a string of hieroglyphic inscriptions naming three different people. This box makes reference to King Akhenaten, King Nefer-Neferu-Aten, and the king's great wife, Merit-Aten. In other words, this box from the tomb of Tutankhamun 
makes it pretty clear that King Nefer-Neferu-Aten and Queen Merit-Aten are different individuals. In that sense, it is more likely that Nefer-Neferu-Aten is Queen Nefertiti, now transitioned to Pharaoh. That may sound a little bit confusing, but it is important. When we are dealing with the late Amarna period, there are so many individuals whose identities are confused or slightly mysterious. Only careful study of various objects and evidence allows historians to reconstruct what might have happened. So, long story short, King Nefer-Neferu-Aten is probably Nefertiti, not the Princess Merit-Aten. We will come back to Merit-Aten in a couple of episodes to discuss what might have happened to this princess after the death of her father. For now, let's focus on Nefertiti, King of Egypt, and what we know of her reign. When Akhenaten died, it was probably Nefertiti who buried the king in the tomb at Amarna. Nefertiti would have come to power at the royal city. She would have taken up residence in the grand palaces, and led her administration from this place. We do not have a huge variety of artefacts from Amarna that testify to Nefer-Neferu-Aten. There are a couple of traces here and there, and a few small objects. But overall, the new king left surprisingly few traces, or surviving traces, at the city of Amarna. In fact, our biggest piece of evidence for this king does not come from Amarna at all, but from a city far to the south. In the ancient town of Waset, aka Thebes, aka Luxor, a text related to Nefer-Neferu-Aten gives us a glimpse at the new ruler's priorities. They are quite surprising. The city of Waset was probably suffering a little bit during the later years of Akhenaten, at the very least, royal administrators were probably not paying as much attention to this area. Akhenaten had closed the temples of Karnak and Luxor. He had fired the priests of Amun, and diverted the resources that went to Amun to the cult and service of Aten. In that sense, the temples, religious institutions, the main economic heart of ancient Waset was probably in decline. Relatively early, though, King Nefer-Neferu-Aten decided to reverse that policy. A small text from a tomb west of the ancient city gives us a hint at the priorities of King Nefer-Neferu-Aten. This text was a graffito written on the entrance of a tomb. It is strange because it gives us a hint that in her reign, King Nefer-Neferu-Aten, or Nefertiti, was already restoring the cult of Amun. The graffito in question goes as follows. Quote, Regnal year three, third month of the inundation, day ten. The king of Upper and Lower Egypt, lord of the two lands, Ankh-Keperu-Ra, beloved of Aten, the son of Ra, Nefer-Neferu-Aten, beloved of Wa-En-Ra. Giving worship to Amun, Kissing the ground to Wenenefer by the priest, the scribe of the divine offerings of Amun, in the mansion of Ankhkeperura in Thebes. The author's name is Pawa, born to Yotef Seneb. End quote. This graffito may not sound like much, but it contains a lot of information in its introduction. First of all, 
The Graffito references Regnal Year 3, third month of the inundation, day 10. This tells us that King Nefer Neferu Aten ruled for at least three years, and possibly even longer. It is the highest date we have for this king, but it gives us a sense that Nefertiti was in power for at least a few years after Argonaten died. The second interesting point is that the graffito references worship of Amun, and it is introduced by a, quote, scribe of the divine offerings of Amun in the mansion of Ankh-Keperura in Thebes, end quote. What that means is that by the time of Regnal Year 3, Nefer-Neferu-Aten had already restored part of the cult of Amun, and she had established her own temple or mansion in the city of Waset, Thebes. This temple had priests who worked in service to Amun, and apparently the man who wrote this graffito, Pawa, was one of these people. This graffito is remarkable because it reveals that within three years of her husband's death, King Nefer-Neferu-Aten, Nefertiti, was already reversing his policies. Why she did this is not exactly clear. The text does not indicate the motives. We can assume that Nefer-Neferu-Aten recognized that the attacks on Amun were not necessarily a good idea. Either Akhenaten's heresy, quote-unquote, had failed, or the queen was anxious to restore some of the traditional cults. Perhaps she wanted to reconcile with the priesthood of Amun. Perhaps she wanted to secure her power base by honouring all of the deities. It's pretty clear that Nefer-Neferu-Aten continued to worship the sun god, Aten. She used Aten in her name, and this graffito calls her beloved of Aten. So it seems like King Nefer-Neferu-Aten started to reverse Akhenaten's policies, and tried to find a middle ground between the two ideas. On the one hand, the cult of Amun was restored, re-legitimized, and new temples were established. At the same time, the cult of Aten, the sun god, was maintained. She did not abandon the religion that her husband had introduced, and even a few years into her reign, King Nefer-Neferu-Aten was still maintaining that cult. The appearance of Nefer-Neferu-Aten on the throne of Egypt is a curious little case. For one thing, she came to power in the wake of an extremely unusual reign, and relatively quickly, it seems like she turned her back on some of Akhenaten's more extreme policies. This doesn't mean that Nefertiti undid all of Akhenaten's works. That would come later, with the next generation of kings. But it does seem that pretty soon after his death, Akhenaten's successor, and the government around her, recognized the fact that his policy against Amun was not necessarily working. Either they feared the wrath of the great god himself, or they understood that removing that deity and the priesthood that supported him simply was not viable. Within a couple of years of Akhenaten's death, the heresy against Amun was stopped, Nefer-Neferu-Aten established a new temple and appointed new priests to honour the great god. The graffito from this tomb gives us a hint at that. 
So Nefer-Neferu-Atin came to power as a new king, and pretty soon her policies started to undo some of her predecessors' decisions. How this affected other people is a curious question, and in chapter 2 of this episode, we're going to see what this graffito reveals about the priorities and concerns of non-royal individuals. There is a lot more information contained in this little text, and in part 2, we dig into that. That is after the break. See you in a moment. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 2. The Return of Amun In regnal year 3 of Nefer-Neferu-Aten, a man named Pawa wrote a graffito on the entrance of a tomb. He recorded his position working in a temple and serving the great god. He also recorded some of his feelings or his perspective on the return of Amun, the Hidden One, the Lord of Creation. We have seen how the introduction of Pawa's graffito lays out some valuable historical information, but there is more to tell. Beneath the political, royal level of affairs, this graffito also gives us a hint at how other people viewed the return of Amun. Carrying on, this text tells us some of the wishes that its author hoped and the way he viewed the great god. In the next part of his graffito, Pawa communicates, quote, My wish is to see you, O Lord of Persia trees, Amun. May your throat take the north wind, so that you may give satisfaction without eating and drunkenness without drinking. My wish is to look at you, so that my heart may rejoice, O Amun, protector of the little man. You are the father of the one who has no mother, and the husband of the widow. Pleasant is the speaking of your name. It is like the taste of life. It is like the taste of bread to a child, a loincloth to the naked. You are like the taste of favor from the ruler. The breeze to him who was in prison. Peace to the troubled man who invokes a possessor of good character when he has returned. End quote. I may be reading too much into this, but it is hard not to read this text in the context of Akhenaten's heresies. When Pawa speaks that he wishes to look upon Amun, that he views the great god as the father of one who has no mother, or the husband of the widow, it's hard not to see a yearning for the great king of the gods to return to Egypt. Pawa says that the speaking of Amun's name is pleasant. And I wonder if this is a reference to Akhenaten's heresy. Perhaps Akhenaten had forbidden anyone to speak the name of Amun. Now, Pawa could say it once more, and he enjoyed the sensation. 
Again, I may be reading too much into this. Praises of Amun can sometimes be pretty formulaic. But in the historical and social context, Pawa's little prayer to the great god does seem like a yearning for Amun to return. We see this in the next part of the graffiti, where Pawa says, quote, Come back to us, O Lord of continuity. You were here before anything had come into being, and you will be here when they are gone. As you have caused me to see the darkness that is yours to give, make light for me so that I can see you. As your car or spirit endures, and as your handsome, beloved face endures, you shall come from distant lands and cause this servant, the scribe Pawa, to see you. Grant to Pawa the condition of Ra awaits him, for indeed the following of you, Amun, is good. O Amun, O great Lord, who can be found by seeking him, may you drive away fear. Set rejoicing in the people's hearts. Joyful is the one who sees you, O Amun. He is in festival every day. End quote. Again, Pawa yearns for Amun to come back to us. He asks the great god to make light so that he, Pawa, can see Amun. He suggests that Amun shall come from afar, and he says that the following of Amun is good. Once again, in context, it is easy to see this as a reaction to Akhenaten's heresy and Nefer-Neferu-Aten restoring the cult of Amun. If Pawa was a genuine believer in the great god, then perhaps that brief period of Akhenaten's last years had been a terrible burden. Fear of speaking the name of Amun in case of punishment, or a desperation to give offerings to the great god, offerings that were now forbidden. In the context, this graffito is not just a valuable historical record of Nefer-Neferu-Aten's reign. It, maybe, gives us an insight into how some people were feeling as the new king of Egypt restored the worship of Amun. At the very least, it is a beautiful, poignant little text that perhaps captures a sense of the emotions swirling around the city of Waset in these tumultuous times. The Graffito of Pawa is one of the few records for Nefer-Neferu-Aten, king of Egypt. It tells us that she ruled for approximately three years, and that she started to undo at least one of Akhenaten's major policies. Beyond this record, though, we do not have much information for King Nefer-Neferu-Aten, aka Nefertiti, ruler of Egypt. At the very least, we can say that her policies were a slight departure from those of her husband and predecessor. Nefertiti tried to walk a middle line between what Akhenaten had done and what needed to happen moving forward. She did not abandon the cult of Aten, but she did begin to restore the cult of Amun. In this sense, it seems like the queen slash king of Egypt was hoping to reconcile different groups, different influences, and different factions. Perhaps she recognized that Amun still had his place within the Egyptian pantheon. Perhaps she wanted to ensure that the priests of Amun would support her in her efforts. Her exact motivations are unclear, 
And until we have more evidence, we can't really say for sure what the new king of Egypt was trying to achieve. For now, all we can say is that the short reign of Nefer Neferu Aten, Nefertiti, is a fascinating chapter in the Amarna story. It is a shame we do not have more evidence for King Nefer Neferu Aten. Unfortunately, any monuments, artistic pieces, or royal inscriptions that she commissioned were later replaced or destroyed by her successors. As a result, our historical records are pretty scarce, and that leaves a lot to be desired when it comes to reconstructing her reign. For now, we can only hope that future excavations turn up new material. King Nefer Neferu Aten did not rule Egypt for long. The Graffito of Pawa from year 3 is the highest known date for this ruler. That suggests that Nefertiti was only in power for a few years at most after her husband's death. Her reign ended in mysterious circumstances, and it is quite possible she did not die naturally. On the next episode of the History of Egypt podcast, we explore the death of Nefertiti, king of Egypt. There is a surprising amount of evidence that maybe reflects what happened to this queen slash king. And, of course, we dive into the question of her burial. How did Nefertiti prepare for her afterlife? What objects did she produce for her tomb? And where is that tomb now? All this on the next episode. See you soon. Oh, and stick around after the music for a quick epilogue. Howdy folks, welcome to the epilogue. Nefertiti, Nefer Neferu Aten, was in an unusual position. She was one of the rare women to be in charge of the Egyptian state, acting officially as a king. These situations do not crop up very often in the historical record. We know that royal women played a major role in court life and politics, but it's quite rare for a female to become the pharaoh. With that in mind, some scholars have wondered, did Nefertiti rule by herself? Or did she share power? Nefertiti became king late in the reign of her husband, Akhenaten, and when he died, she carried on in that position. But in theory, the death of Akhenaten should have caused a succession, a transition of power to the next male in the family. Egyptian society and Egyptian politics were quite patriarchal and wherever possible, they seem to have chosen males to be the new ruler. With that in mind, it's possible that Nefertiti didn't actually rule by herself. Instead, she might have shared power with the prince Tutankhaten. Tutankhaten might be the son of Akhenaten and Nefertiti. Alternatively, he might be the son of Smenkhkare, that strange co-regent who showed up a few years earlier. We do not have much certainty about the parentage of Tutankhaten just yet. But when Akhenaten died, this young boy logically should have been the successor. 
So did Nefer Neferu Aten rule by herself, or did she act as a co-regent with the young Tutank Aten? This might seem like an academic question, and it is, but it's also an important one. If Nefer Neferu Aten ruled independently, that affects our chronology of this time period. If there is an extra three years there, then we have to adjust the calendars of reigns which came afterwards. Likewise, if she ruled alongside Tutank Aten, that affects how we understand his reign. If they were co-regents for a few years, then Tutank Aten's time in office is actually shorter than what we thought. I'll spare you the intricate academic debate and simply say that I think it is too early to call this one way or another. It is possible that Nefertiti and Tutank Aten ruled together, but we do not have any texts or artistic images that would support that. For now, I'm not willing to make a call one way or another. So to keep things flexible and maintain some kind of stable chronology, I'm going to treat Nefertiti as an independent ruler. This might seem unusual in historical contexts, but it's the best we have for now. Hopefully, future research will change that picture, but it's something to consider. So, in my reconstruction, Nefertiti ruled alone. She became king of Egypt late in the reign of Akhenaten, and then when he died, she carried on in that position. This might have been a controversial decision if Nefertiti decided to rule by herself, that might have upset or offended some people. If that's the case, it might have played a role in what happened next. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.